Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Not normally doing this one on a Wednesday, but we're going to switch it up a little bit this week. Uh, did some work in the uh, uscfootball.com studios, Tunnel Vision Studios, Peristyle Podcast Studios. So we, uh, we got, got a little delayed yesterday, but we got a lot of the work done. If you're going to watch Tunnel Vision, which comes on, to, this is being taped on Wednesday afternoon, so you might not have a listen to this by the time Tunnel Vision comes on, but take a look, go back and look at the replay. It's going to look a little different. We're pretty, Keely's in the studio. She's very excited. I'm very excited. You're excited too. I'm very excited uh, for what's going on. We've got Dan Weber on the line. We're going to answer a lot of your questions about USC football about halfway through at this point. Seven of the 15 practices are done. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com. That's the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141. We got a voicemail for you today. We got some texts. We got a bunch of emails and lots to talk about with our friend Dan Weber. Who does an amazing job covering USC football. He's our beat writer over at uscfootball.com and our columnist. Before we uh, talk to Dan, I wanted to thank uh, our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been great to us over the last couple of years. Make sure if you're on the USC campus, you go over to the new University Village, USC Village, check out the Trader Joe's there. I go to my one in uh, Hermosa Beach, and we've been going, Keely, we've been going like three times a week now, like picking wow. up stuff. Yeah, it's good. And I got, I was using my Trader Joe's USC bag earlier today, uh, so it's great. I love, you know, picking up a little lunch and I always have that bag. I always keep them in my uh, in my trunk. So they're they're pretty cool. And I've been doing this every almost not every morning, but almost every morning when I go work out, I get my uh, I get the my yogurt from Trader Joe's and then the almond butter granola that I just picked up the other day. I got I had to refill. It's like cereal sort of thing. So like I put the yogurt in that. I think it's a little healthier, you know. Well, yeah, that's good stuff. It's pretty good. I get, do, good. do my workout and stuff. Um, and uh, we had dinner the other night. Jenna likes the uh, the the more fresh pasta. Man, I forget the name, uh, but it's like uh, I bought the well, spinach tortellini. So in the in the fr- the refrigerated section, I like that. And then uh, we picked up some turkey and some of their marinara sauce, and we like mixed it all together. So that's what I had. I I think I ate a whole package of that last night. So Whoops. maybe I shouldn't have done that. You carboloaded for your workout. In the I morning. did carboloaded for my workout this morning. But uh, thanks to Trader Joe's again, uh, and. Uh, we're going to jump into the podcast now because we got a big show. we got a lot to talk to. Dan, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, enjoying myself uh, a lot more than I guess you, you might have hoped for, you know, to be as upbeat as, as I kind of think we are. I think one of the things that kind of makes you feel that way is that the players are so upbeat. And we hadn't seen that. I mean, last year from the spring, you know, all the way through, you know, at the end of November, there wasn't a lot of upbeat, you know, stuff going on. And the, the players, you, you didn't get any kind of sense of, man, isn't this fun? Man, is you know, we're heading in the right direction and all that. And to see that kind of flip and, you know, just seven practices that we've seen them, uh, that, that's fun. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing them enjoy themselves. I think there's, 
there's no question. They're they're having more fun than than they had all last year. How dare you be optimistic, Dan? It's is that the big topic, Keely? It's like you know, I don't think we were very optimistic last spring. No. And certainly during the fall, but man, if you show some like, wow, this looks actually pretty good, people get on you. I think it's funny. If you had told us four months ago that people were now going to get mad at us for being optimistic, <laughs> I'd be like, wait, we're going to be optimistic in four months? So it, you can't please everyone. But what I say at the end of t- uh, instant analysis sometimes is we're just telling you what happens each day. We're yeah. taking it day by day. We're not saying, okay, it was a great practice today. And thus... USC is going to go 12 and 0. Right. You know, it's just we're telling you what we see each day. Whether or not that comes to fruition come the season, we don't know yet. But um, it's definitely, like Dan said, it's a much more optimistic outlook this spring. Yeah. I think so. I mean, Dan, it just seems like, you know, I don't know if Clay Helton probably not made as many changes as you would have liked, uh, but the changes that were made do seem positive. And uh, I was listening to our friends over at Rain or Troy, and they were talking about, you know, expectations for the season and, you know, what games could flip and stuff like that. And saying, you know, you're probably better off that it was a five and seven record versus a seven and five because maybe you don't make as many changes in a seven and five. And maybe Clay sticks to his guns. And um, you know, I I, I think he hasn't. I I think there's certain things he's doing the same, but most of the stuff, he's just doing a lot of stuff that's different and it seems to be like the right path. It seems to be like, hey, but you always wonder, Dan, like, well, why the heck were you doing this before? You know? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and you're right about the five seven and seven five, and and the problem with sticking to your guns or sticking to what you're doing, there wasn't anything to stick to. I mean, did, you know, they <laughs> kind of got the first half of the Notre Dame game and said, ooh, maybe this is how we should have been playing all year. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I think you needed somebody to really be able to, you know, understand what the offense would work the best with these guys. And, and USC probably has the, the most talented group that's ever kind of committed to the, you know, modified air raid, uh, offense or whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm thinking Oklahoma has a, you know, has a kind of a version maybe with really talented players, but, uh, but you haven't seen, you know, a lot of, you know, schools that, that have those kinds of players. And, and no matter what you think of the recruiting this past year, uh, you know, the previous three, four years, uh, USC has those kinds of players. They're still, you know, a lot of them are still there. And uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I would wish we could pick Graham Harrell's brain in terms of what he really thinks of having, let's say, that higher level player running this offense. I mean, I think he's been doing it, you know, with, with guys that, that you're not going to see at Oklahoma or USC or whatever. And, um, and I don't know what he, you know, what adjustments does he make or, you know, for realizing how many really good wide receivers he has or tight ends to throw to now or running backs who can catch the ball, all the, you know, all the things that he's got at USC, uh, that maybe he never had before. So, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know that you've had a team that has the potential to go from five and seven to what? I don't know. Uh, but uh, but I know, you know, USC fans don't want to get their hopes up too much because they think, you know, they've been kicked in the teeth before if you're getting their hopes up. But uh, but it's, it's going to be fun to, to watch uh, and see how it develops. I don't think we know. I mean, I think – I don't know that people should extrapolate from what we say, this was a good practice or they got better today. To, yeah, they're going to, you know, 
win the Rose Bowl, you know, win the Pac-12, <laughs> you know, be in the playoffs. Uh, uh, I don't know. You, you need to go there. Just that they're going in the right direction. Today was a was a pretty good day, even with you know how thin they are in the secondary. You just keep doing what you're doing, and uh, and and you don't let that uh, limit what you're doing. You just keep doing it, and uh, I, I think that was one of the you know encouraging things about Talanoa, you know, re- refracturing his collarbone and going you know being out for eight weeks is the fact that they didn't hold him back. They didn't you know say oh. You can't even be in there when, you know, we're not tackling when you guys are in there, but you're going to play just like you'd normally play except for tackling. And, it, you know, he makes a dive and probably, you know, very misguided attempt to, to save a play. But it shows you they weren't backing off and they weren't, you know, turtling up, as some people say. And uh, I think it's the only way they can play. And, and, and so – are we positive? Yeah, right now we are. If they go in a different direction, we probably won't be. But uh, well, all you can do is day by day and, and see where this is going. And the other thing that we've seen is maybe the weight program and uh, you know nutrition program isn't the same thing that you could, you'd see at Notre Dame or Alabama or Michigan or Florida or wherever. But we've seen a lot of guys who needed to, to drop weight, drop weight. We've seen guys who needed to add weight, and wait. I mean, just that on their own. I mean, guys who say, you know, I want to play uh, a Connor Murphy or a Marquis step. That's really important. Or, or you know, uh, Jay Tafelli and, and Marlon Tui Pelotu and, uh, and Brandon Peely and those guys. Uh, we've seen, you know, them do the things that they needed to do uh, to get to that, say, next level that they really didn't get to last year. And uh, uh, I think that's those are all really important things. Maybe they haven't done the hiring and they haven't done the expansion, you know, and the, and the support staff, but it looks like the players kind of are, are doing some of that on their own. And that's the most important part of the equation to begin with is what do the players think? What do they want to do? They're the ones that have to make it happen. So uh, we're seeing some enough of that to, to think this doesn't look like last year. Yeah. I agree with that, Dan. And you mentioned some of the the big news, uh, I guess, over the last couple of days is that Talanoa Hufunga did re-injure uh, that you know collarbone he had broke before, and uh, now he's going to be out. What is it? Eight eight weeks? Eight weeks, eight weeks or so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was a post on the Peristyle, Dan, where uh, you know I forget who it was. Someone said, "Hey, you know, Clay Hilton's going to turtle up now. Now that someone got hurt, they're going to go back to the way they were practicing before." And at least from what you guys saw. Uh, yesterday, Tuesday, right? Like that, that, that wasn't the case. No, I mean, it wasn't at all. I, I don't think we noticed, you know, any difference at all. Isaiah, you know, Palomalo was, was out there in his yellow Jersey. And uh, so, uh, I mean, I think, you know, once you're out there, you've got to, you got to play, you know, full speed. You can't do anything that even remotely looks like a walkthrough. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're doing that. So, uh, you know, will they do maybe as much tackling to, gr- to the ground? I don't know if you have to do that in the spring, but they're incorporating drills uh, in terms of movement and, and, and full speed and, and, you know, doing multiple things with the same drill, not wasting time, uh, having more time to do fundamental work, things like that. Kind of like the way these coaches go together. I, I, just the, the, you know, the chances we've had to talk to, 
to all you know the new uh, the new coaches. Um, it just seems like a staff that for the first time they've been together are really really working well together. And they like it seems like they like one another. They understand what everybody's trying to get you know get done. And um, you know we all had our uh, you know second thoughts about how practices were going the last couple of years, and uh, I don't have any, I don't, we don't have any of that sense right now. So, so far. Keely, okay. oh yeah, uh, any uh, other news from practice you want to bring not, up before we... Not off the top of my head. I'm just curious. So, Tuesday was the first practice back from Talanoa's injury, and they were in shoulder pads and shorts, and that's, that's what they've been doing on Tuesdays. I'm curious if, one, they go full pads for Thursday, and if they do... Do they still keep that intensity? Of course, the intensity is kind of going to retreat a little bit when you're not in full pads. So I wonder how much that does affect uh, the physicality on full pad days. So I'm curious how that it, develops. Yeah. Is there allowed two full pads days uh, a week in uh, spring practice? And they're allowed, uh, I think it was a total of eight, something like that, and which would give them two more every day. They're allowed three full Full go scrimmages, which uh, would be the case if they, uh, you know, if they they do it the way you know they had last Saturday and then the next two Saturdays, which is kind of the way it's scheduled. So, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to see them deviate too much from that and pull back because in the spring, you you almost can't. You almost got to take every chance to be, uh, you know, physical and and do all the you know all the things uh, you know that they're going to let you do, and and you can't let certain things hold you back you just got to keep going and uh and keep playing and uh so far that's what we've seen even with the really severe limitations now in the uh in the secondary and that shouldn't slow up the you know the offense for example you just you know and you you got walk-on guys back there and they're busting their tail they're getting a lot of you know help from walk-ons this this year and, and you know there'll be plays where you got a walk-on wide receiver going against a walk-on uh, defensive back you just have to you know you just do it and you, you just keep getting those reps and getting those reps and uh, you know maybe those two guys don't necessarily figure into what's going to happen in the fall but for the quarterback uh, you know the quarterback read or, or whatever that you need to have happen on that play uh, it still has to happen and uh so far, that's what we're seeing is that they're just saying, this is how we want to do it, and they just keep doing it. And uh, it's really it's interesting that they're all starting to – you can just see them because Tuesday was the third day, third time that they installed the first third of the offense. So, you know, they've, they're now into the third time, and by the end of the, you know, uh, spring, they'll have installed every part of the offense five times. Uh, and I think they're all kind of amazed at how it works uh, and how, you know, how many variables they've got and how much freedom they've got to, uh, uh, you know, they all like it that Graham, for example, he just wants them to get open. And if they see a way to do that, uh, you know, that the quarterback will be able to read, they're allowed to do it. And um, so, you know, if somebody tries to you know really jump the route or read the whatever, they've got the freedom to, to go in another direction. And uh, I'm just not sure that in past years, the players were given the ability to come up with their own answers uh, on the fly. And they're doing that in practice. And that's what happens in games that you often have to come up with your own answer. And uh, 
they're they're being encouraged to do that, and it's it's kind of neat to watch. One thing I wanted to mention before we jump into questions. Uh, so there's a if you guys remember uh, Jake Olson, who was uh, the maybe you remember him. Uh, heard so the, heard the name. He's doing a uh, right here, actually, real close to the studio where Keely and I at the Shade Hotel in Redondo Beach. He's doing a casino night on Saturday night, and you can get tickets online. We we posted a link on the on the Peristyle, and if you look at my Twitter feed, there's I post like or just Jake. If you go to you know any Jake Olson's uh, social media accounts, you can kind of check that out and uh, for a good cause. Um, you know, so he's fighting uh the the eye cancer what is it always it's like right retinoblastoma retinoblastoma okay so um yeah so he's uh fighting that and uh should be a lot of fun people there I'll, I'll definitely be there with some of my friends and stuff so come by you can do a little gambling win some prizes and stuff and uh i just i had a wonderful time if you guys didn't get to read the story i put one up on usafootball.com the trojan club of the desert out in palm desert uh had a their golf tournament and I spoke at the uh, the dinner afterwards, but Jake was the main speaker, Jake Olson, and he had won the Marv Goo Award, and I got to play a round of golf with him and his dad, and it was absolutely amazing. So you can check out the story and stuff, but I just wanted to mention it was like how fun uh, that was. Him and and Quebec running around, and my and my wife Jana was there, like you know taking some pictures and stuff. It really was an absolute blast. So hopefully you guys can come uh, Saturday night to Jake's event. No, I thought the. Uh I thought the the video of Jake hitting the ball. I mean, you just have to visualize that until you you know see a, a blind golfer and uh, having he had some familiarity you know with blind golfers. You, you hear the stories, but I don't know that I'd ever seen uh, seen a, you know a blind golfer swing like that and how he gets set up. And then uh, and some of the photos that that showed Quebec, you know, in the in the photos and and where he is, you know, and the whole thing. Those are just those, that was beautiful stuff. I, I just you, know, you just can't can't get enough of that. Jake is a truly uh, absolutely amazing amazing guy. He just uh, just hard to hard to overstate his uh, importance to USC. To be honest, if I'm USC, I never let Jake go anywhere without being a part of USC. I mean, I just uh, figure out a way to have Jake uh, uh, a representative of USC for the rest of his life. I mean, he's going to do some great things and on his own, but uh, you'd like to see him always, uh, you know, somebody who cared that much about USC, always wanted to be part of USC. I think there are ways in which uh, USC's had some tough, uh, tough PR times here recently. And in Jake Olson, you, nobody has a better story, uh, you know, about their university and, and, and what it produces than, uh, than Jake Olson. Yeah. Can't disagree there. Is this the first podcast in a while that we had had the lead, like talking about some new scandal? Like it's been. Yeah. I, so each week when we do the new podcast, I go into the last podcast content item to, to move things over. And last week was like more drama around <laughs> USC. So yeah, this is the first one. Yeah. So that was a oh, no, there might be some out there. We're just probably not gonna gonna go go grab them. I mean, there are just those little. There are more more around the edges. I think. Yeah. Well, there's, there's like it was a positive thing, so I wanted the people to uh, to. Yeah. The, and then you know, last week, if you did, hopefully you guys got to listen, I had Jody Ottawale on the podcast. It was kind of it was on a Friday, so it was a little bit weird. But you know, a guy that played football at USC came in. He's the most, you know, his class is the most 
decorated class uh, in USC history. I mean, in his time at USC, he went to four Rose Bowls and an Orange Bowl, played in three national champions, you know, with part of three national championship games. So like that doesn't happen very often. It's sort of like what Alabama players are going through right now. But he came in at the exact right time. And uh, man, and just for him to move on and be a clinical uh, psychologist is pretty amazing. And then I saw, I ended up seeing him on the documentary of uh, Surviving R. Kelly. And that's why I was like, oh, and I, I, it was weird. I had his number in my phone and I was like, I was going to like, oh my God, we must've like connected a way, like a long time, 10 years ago or something. So it was really cool. He came in the studio and I wish you could see, we, we did a little remake of the studio. He didn't get to see that, but uh, that was fun too. So if you haven't listened to that one, so a couple positive things, Keely, we're trying to do some positive stuff around here. Yay. Positivity. <laughs> well, I still remember, uh, with that group, uh, it was a, they were, I think it was a December practice, probably for the Rose Bowl. I think they just announced uh, the All-America uh, teams, and they're coming out to practice. And I, I remember telling somebody, I said, I think I covered, you know, an awful lot of college football for a long time. And I said, there were more All-Americans just past me this minute than I covered in person, you know, for however many years. I said, it's just amazing when you look at this, that those teams and how much talent was there and how many athletes. And uh, I just like Jody because he had the greatest name. Uh, just had, you know, there was a lilt to his name. But, uh, man, that was, a, that was a tough lineup to break through. And, and just a lot of tough, interesting guys. I mean, that's just a lot of personality on that team. So that was great that you got him. And his own story is just absolutely, I don't think we all knew that story when he was at USC, uh, how, how difficult it was with him and his family and what he did, uh, you know, to, to overcome that and, and all that. But, uh, what an unbelievable story. Yeah. So if you don't like he had to, uh, you know, his family didn't have much or he basically was giving most of his stipend check to support his family. He would, uh, borrow toilet paper from like the Galen Center or whatever or bring bring meals back you know when you you could eat at the Galen Center and bring meals back to his family so they could eat and stuff so he he did a lot and uh for him to be able to do all that while he's you know getting his degree getting his master's and then going on to get his psych you know his uh doctor of uh, psychology is pretty amazing so uh great yeah make sure you listen to that one if you missed it it came out last uh Friday but Keely we got a lot of questions should we uh we do. Shall we dive it? in? I guess so, yeah. We have an email from Eric in Duck Country. He says, given the lack of depth in the secondary, are there any players you think who could make a switch to play safety or corner? Hmm. Uh, the, the problem right now is there's a lack of depth, say, at wide receiver yeah. and running back. I mean, maybe the guys that you would think, okay, I could grab a guy here or grab a guy there. I don't see that they're you just don't see bodies i mean when practice is over and, and you know you, you see him going out to goo gate you've got pie young there uh waiting for him and saying hi and uh so you wonder if uh you know where does he end up uh you know academically and all that he you know got some issues but uh you just wonder is, is that a as a guy like pie you know pie young a candidate um uh, Dominic Davis is back this week. Uh, is he, you know, going to get to that point where, as Connor Murphy seems to have, after three years, just said, "Okay, I can make a place for myself to play here." Uh, does that happen with a 
with the Dominic Davis. They've already, you know, they did in the fall move Raymond Scott back there from linebacker, and he now, like, might be the strongest safety in the country. I mean, he is a really strong, tough, tough guy. Does he learn how to, you know, play safety? Uh, I'm not sure. I think uh, another guy who might be a candidate for a scholarship eventually, I don't think he got one, was uh, was Jordan McMillan, who is, is sort of that Matt Lopes kind of guy who looks like he easily could be a scholarship player as a safety who will, you know, get a chance to play. But uh, when you look around at the, you know, at the bodies, you don't see um, anybody. You just need everybody to be healthy. If they're all healthy, it's probably the highest rated group USC's ever had in, in the secondary. If you count, you know, everybody uh, and where they were coming out of high school, uh, it's just a matter of, you know, getting them all, you know, up to speed and ready to play and, uh, and being able to do what, you know, what they want them to do. But, uh, but numbers wise, you know, it's going to have to be the incoming freshmen, I think, uh, or the incoming players anyway. Having Max Williams get healthy, I think, you know, helps. And, and, and Britton Allen looks like uh, looks like he can certainly play. But uh, and having Greg Johnson, you know, come back and all of that, there are a lot of, you know, ifs, uh, you know, with that secondary. But numbers-wise, uh, not right now. Yeah, I think Raymond Scott's the move. That's you know that was a good one. Um, and, and right now, like Dan said, you're just waiting for people to come in uh, in the fall. I think there'll be plenty of depth there. I mean, it, you know, I I'd like to see Dominic Davis do more. I mean, just he, I think he's a good enough athlete. It's just wherever he's been, they just haven't really used him much. And hard to say, you know, why you'll get C.J. Pollard back and stuff. So they, I think they'll be all right. But it's just you know. Right now, the, yeah, I, I think the only CJ, move was Scott. Yeah, yeah, I think CJ. I think you're right. CJ, I think matters a good bit. Not having him uh, has, has been pretty, you know, pretty difficult as well. Yeah, but, he would uh, have been fine. Like just doing stuff this, uh, this, you know, this spring. I think he could have stepped into a leadership role. He really done some good things there. And uh, you know, the fact that he hurts his foot, it was hurt his foot, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's yep. just just yep. bad yeah, luck. He's had he's yeah. had some bad luck, and uh, that's a little more of it. If anything, though, I think spring is not super consequential in the grand scheme of things. And if it's forcing guys like ITS and, and OG, well, OG's out, but like, and uh, Isaiah Polamau, getting those guys more com- confident and comfortable with the defense, I think maybe shining a spotlight on them is a positive if you want to take that out of what's happened so far this spring. That's a really good point. I, I don't, I don't disagree at all. Uh, there's no way to, you know, for those guys to kind of, Hide in the crowd uh, at this point, you know. Now it's your turn. Spotlight's on you. Um, you know, you guys were awfully highly, you know, ranked in high school, and 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 it's uh, you know, it's time. It's time, and and this is your team. Yeah. And so we have a, just a reminder for everyone: if you send us a text or an email, make sure you put your name with it. Yeah. Um, it's not me. That's excluding. Keely doesn't like reading people's names. False. I think. False. <laughs> Uh, we have a text. We have a text from Nameless who says, "Is Liam Douglas going to be allowed to compete for the right guard position since Andrew Voorhees consistently graded low and has been the weakest link on the offensive line last year?" I think it's a good question. All of them. I think everybody ought to compete. I'm not. A, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Liam physically is ready to do that yet. Uh, and I think he may be on the. You know the plan that where it takes guys a couple of years on the offensive line, uh, you know, to get themselves ready or like a Connor Murphy takes you three years to, 
to really get to that point. Maybe you can then, uh, you know, go for two years and, and really compete to play. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I just hope they give everybody a chance to compete uh, and compete for those spots. I just think the idea of just watching Marquis Step, for example, compete for a spot with, uh, uh, you know, Vavai Malapai and uh, Stephen Carr, uh, that's really enlightening to see him drop 12 pounds and just work on his hands and do all the things he's done. And then if they're not there, he really steps up uh, and, and, and gets a chance. I think we need to see that everywhere on both lines uh, where, where the guys really feel like they can move in. And for example, Connor Murphy does what he did, you know, goes from 255 to 268 and he looks like he can play and they've, you know, given him, uh, you know, a chance to play three different spots already. And um, I think that, I, I like that look, I, I, that sense of if you, if you show us, you're going to do all the things we need you to do. We're going to give you a chance. And uh, I don't think we saw that enough the last couple of years. And I, I think, I think there's a sense that that just has to happen. So, uh, you know, I think Leon is just one of, uh, you know, a lot of guys uh, you, uh, you want to see. Um, um, I'm trying to think. Um, Oh, Jacob Daniel, I think we're seeing more of him. Uh, you know, and we, I don't think we know, you know, where this where this can go. Uh, but uh, and, and I'm I'm trying to think. Did I get uh, Liam? Um, did he say Liam Jimmons or Liam Douglas? He said Liam Douglas. Okay, yeah, because Liam Jimmons, I think you talked to him the other day, uh, Keely. He looks like he might be ready to ready right now to compete. He looks like he's got a. Uh, you know, a big time uh, athletic body for an offensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, he's a second team right tackle right now. Um, but he talking to him, he said that the playbook is really something that he's struggling with right now. It's it's a hard switch over, um, but he's ready really? to compete. Yeah, he said he, it's interesting because we've heard this from other players, but uh, Liam kind of confirmed is that Tim Drevno is really personable and is really detail oriented and will be that type of teacher coach. So he's getting extra time with uh, Tim Drevno and um, going over film and, and seeing what he did wrong each practice and really trying to just learn as much. The interesting though, talking to Liam Jimmins is that they had talked about Jimmins moving over to offense since last spring. And so Helton kind of wanted uh, Liam to switch over to uh, the offensive line and then KU basically w- wasn't having it. That's what <laughs> Liam's quote. Um, and so halfway through fall, uh, Helton was like, yeah, we're kind of leaning towards this kind of get mentally ready. And so Liam, he said it, it was a hard switch and he had to make that, that sacrifice for the team. But he was like, I would like to think that I, I'm willing to do that for the team um, and be a team guy. So it's interesting how that has been in the works for a while. I thought this was just an off season thing, but it, apparently it's not. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. He may be the only guy that's talking about what a tough uh, uh, thing it is to pick up the offense because everybody that's been playing offense thinks that this is way simpler, uh, this offense, if you've been playing you know, the other offense. But, but Liam was never involved in the previous offense. So to him, this is a whole different way of, uh, you know, doing football, uh, doing it on offense from, from defense. But, uh, but so he, you do have different perspectives, I guess, when you – especially when you come over that first year uh, from defense to offense. It, it looks all, I'm sure, really confusing. Yeah, I think it all is just a c- culture shock for him. He was saying that the first practice, he started to run over to the defensive line group, and then he was like, <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, and he also said that 
Clancy hasn't changed his defense at all. So he'll know what they're going to do, what the defensive line is going to yeah. do. And he was like, I could tell other guys, but that's cheating and they're not going to learn. So, but he was like, but I know actually what's going to come, what's going to happen. So nice. uh, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, but as far as, yeah. sorry, yeah, I think he looks like, uh, he, I just think he looks like an offensive lineman to me. I just, he just has that look and I, you don't always know, you know, what the exact subtleties are between offense and defensive linemen. And I can see him, you know, kind of, gravitating to the defensive guys, but he looks like an offensive lineman to me. He's a big, imposing guy who looks like he's got a lot of, you know, straight ahead kind of, you know, movement ability and, uh, and looks like he can move. So uh, I think he could be a real plus. Those are the guys I think they really need to develop this spring. That guy, you know, that, that, that guy can really make a difference for this team, especially just pushing the other guys and, and, and maybe pushing through. Uh, but that, that competition, I think that was the secret. We said it a million times to, uh, you know, the Pete Carroll era was that that competitive sense of everybody pushing everybody at practice and uh, carrying through the games. And uh, I'm not sure we've seen that. And now I think we're, we're seeing it. And uh, I think where, where it most matters uh, are on both lines where you, you don't want guys to get settled in. You want them to push that other guy. And, uh, and push him to get better so that you don't have him, uh, you know, you have the kind of development that you need to have. And, and, and you know, again, I have people, you know, say, oh, you talk about, you know, Pete maybe too much. But this, one of the best things that USC did during that time, USC was one of the few teams that you would see from the end of the season to the bowl game, they got better. A lot of teams, you know, that's a tough three or four weeks that you've got to just try to, stay as good as you were and try to, you know, and, and inevitably Pete's teams would be better by the time they got to the bowl game, that, that you'd be playing a better team than, than USC hit on the field at the end of the season. That's really hard to do. And it's really a factor of how you approach practice and how you think about, you know, competing every day. And uh, if, if USC can get that going, I think it really changes, changes the whole nature of, of, of the roster. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in regards to Liam Douglas in particular, uh, Dan mentioned how it takes some time for guys to get used to it. Liam Douglas, especially, he's only been playing tackle football for two years now, three years. So it's it's a, for him in particular, it's going to be a while for him to get adjusted and, and get into that rotation. Um, right. We have another text from Mike in the Bay Area. He says, question for Dan and Keeley. With Coach Harrell looking like he's going to call games from up top, who will be on the sidelines communicating with the QB? Thanks for all the content and hard work work you put into the site. Fight on, Mike. That's a question we haven't asked yet uh, in terms of how that communication is going to go. Uh, I'm assuming that they'll communicate uh, You know, when the other team has the ball. Uh, that we didn't see as much, uh, but I think he has to probably, you know, be up there. I guess that you say, you know, having the quarterback coach and the coordinator as the same guy is really good every day at practice uh, and in the, uh, you know, in the quarterback room and all of that. But, uh, uh, you know, they're not able to, you know, directly talk, uh, you know, without the headsets or without the, you know, the phones during the games other than at halftime. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I'm not sure. I know it's much more efficient in terms of getting the plays in and all of that with uh, with what happen- what's happening on the sideline. 
But who the exact communicator will be with quarterbacks? I don't think we. I don't know. And that's a that's a good that's something good to for us to ask about because I'm I'm not sure who that person will be. Yeah, right now the relay how that's happening it's it's Harold on the headset headset down to a grad assistant grad assistant Dane Stevens. So he's been around the program for a bit and he's the right. guy who's relaying the the plays right now, but as far as talking to the quarterbacks, we don't fully know yet. So, good question. But I think Dane Dane does have that experience. I mean, he has been the, you know, he's been the guy in the summer who would be holding up the big uh, you know, big boards with yes. uh, you know the formations and all that so dane has been there uh, i would guess this is his third year doing it so uh, i think dane uh, is, is certainly would be a candidate you know for doing it. not so much the quarterback quarterback stuff but the play calling and the uh, you know the kind of overall stuff uh, as far as somebody specific um, uh, for the quarterback that's a good question mm-hmm. not sure um so we have a question for both ryan and dan uh, Mark from Las Vegas says, Ryan, please tap into your colorful past with the Fresno State program ah. and tell us, on August 31st, is USC going to see the same team that curb stomped? No, he said, sorry. Are we going to see the same team that curb stomped UCLA at the Rose Bowl? And how ride or die is the Valley for the season opener? We lost to Fresno State when I was a kid, and you would have thought they had just beaten the LA Rams in the Super Bowl. So over under 15,000 in red and white. Thanks, fight on Mark in Las Vegas. Hey, Mark. Uh, yeah, so talking to, I mean, I think Fresno State loses uh, a bunch uh, from last year, but I think you need to take that, uh, you know, put that in context because when Jeff Tedford took over three years ago, you talk about a team that won one game and then he get, turns it to double digits. So I don't think that, you know, the roster wasn't as big of an issue then. I think they are losing some key pieces, but. I like the way they've recruited better. Uh, they've really focused on recruiting the Central Valley, and there's a lot of talent there. Uh, I haven't dove into how you know some of the players and how good they're going to be, but I, I would think that you're going to still see a pretty formidable uh, team uh, come. Uh, you know, was it August 29th, August 30th? 30, I think was it 31st, maybe August 31st. 30, August 31st. Um, so I yeah, uh, and I do feel I, I talk to people and. Someone from Fresno said they're going to bring 20,000 people down. Um, it is a big deal there. And when they were rolling with like Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and guys like that, uh, they I remember they had like a blackout and and my wife went up and, and went to a game. It was her only Fresno State game. And she goes, this actually feels like an SEC game because she's from Tennessee. Like there's they're passionate about their team, you know, and for a team that won 12 games last year, I think they're going to be pretty excited uh, to be coming down. I think there's optimism there. So, yeah, I think you're, I mean, I don't know how good they're going to be, but I don't think that there's not going to be a rollover team. And I think they will bring a lot of people down to the Coliseum and, and really support the Bulldogs. And uh, we'll see, you know, I think USC is going to have to come out and play pretty well uh, to win that game. Yeah, I, I think it's the perfect opener for USC in every way. I mean, the fact that they're going to bring fifteen to 20,000 fans uh, to put into the Coliseum when we're not sure how that's all going to go in terms of season ticket renewals and all of that and, and where USC fans feel about the program, I think that's perfect. I think it sets things up. Uh, you know, I think the fact that, you know, they've been, you know, doing so well, so well coached, uh, and lose a lot of guys, uh, ought to be just the way you want to open a game, a game that matters, a game that you know you got to show up and play well. But if you do, uh, like the last time they played uh, in the uh, – um, Clay's the game. Clay got the you got his start in the Las Vegas Bowl, 
and they had Derek Carr, and I think they had Devontae Adams and those guys. And they had some, you know, some really nice players. And what you realize, USC showed up to play that day, and you realize USC just has better players. I mean, they had better athletes. And, uh, and they kind of ran away a little bit, uh, you know, from Fresno State. That ought to be the case most of the time. Uh, and, you know, I just think it's uh, for USC to know that they've got to show up and be ready to play that game and they get Stanford the next week. I just think it's the perfect schedule for this USC program at this time. I, I really like having that game as the opener. We have a text from the Sir Eric of Troy. Ah, yes. Famous Sir Eric of Troy. Yeah. He says, your friend and co-host for one day. Uh, he says, hello, Ryan. Long time, no talk. Uh, this question is for both you and Dan. I like, I'd like. i like your separate answers. We all know that Lynn Swan retained Clay Helton after acknowledging the need for and promising an improvement in culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff. My question is, if the season began tomorrow... What letter grade would you give Swan and Helton on what they've done in each of these categories? I ask because I'm one of the longtime season ticket holders, 26 consecutive years with four seats, who has not renewed as of yet, though I do get a call from the ticket office twice a week. I'm still waiting to see what product they're selling before I buy. Looking forward to each of your answers. Fight on your friend and co-host for one day, Sir Eric Troy. Before we do that, I just want to say instant analysis. He oh. talks to me every time about the way I pronounce it. There you yeah. go. We haven't heard from Sir Eric for a while. He comes in the studio and then he's like, yeah. Too cool for he us. He might have to come in now to see like how. how You're really decked- pumping this this new deck out. I'm excited. Yeah, as you should be. Um, okay. So he wants a letter grade. Is that right? He wants yes. For- Which, to be fair, we're halfway through spring camp. So is this premature? Not sure. I guess maybe just like the move. So I'll, I'll go first. So we So he's talking about. Lynn Swan's promises to change in culture. Uh, I'd give that probably, or maybe we'll do, we'll get, I'd say culture change. There's been some change there. I would give it a, a B. What do you think, Dan? I think th- what we're saying is, is the culture is the players. And I think the players have changed. I think there's been a good reaction to what happened last year. I give a lot of credit to the players. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that institutionally USC has been a, a major factor, but obviously they made it possible to hire, you know, first, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and then, and then Graham Harrell. They may, this may work out better. I mean, Graham may be more ideally suited to be that young assistant coach, uh, offense coordinator guy who kind of changes things, um, uh, in the context of, of the staff, uh, they've changed the staff. They've, they've changed a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, for good or bad, I mean, if you give, uh, you know, the head coach, uh, not credit, you know, for some of the staffers that it just didn't seem to work. Um, then getting a staff that looks like it's working. I mean, they really, they, they just look like this is a good staff and, and you have a good feeling about it. Um, uh, so, so I, I would say, I'm not sure how much Lynn Swan, you know, gets credit for this. Uh, I mean, I think Clay has gone along with it, and Clay hasn't gotten in the way uh, of, of some of these changes. So that's I, something in the, in the area, you know, an incomplete, obviously, in, in terms of the spring, but maybe a B in terms of right. uh, moving in the right direction. All right. For culture, discipline, bringing out all the, you know, 
referees and stuff. I'm I'm gonna give a solid like. Now we don't know because like you could still come out in, in games, but at least for what we've seen, the effort so far, I get like an A minus or so. Yeah, absolutely, think? absolutely. I mean, the fact that they keep coming uh, and they're having them do the drills. I mean, they're throwing flags on drills, uh, and then they're having a discussion. I mean, just the idea of you know last year again, we said this before, it would have devolved into a you know shouting match between a cornerback and a wide receiver as to whether it was interference or holding or whatever. And now, you know, the official says yes or no. And if that flag's out there, you know, you're the DB. you got to talk to the official and say, what did I do? Uh, I didn't think I was holding. And he said, yep, that, this is what you did. That's how I'm going to call it. That's so much better than last year. I mean, oh, my goodness. And I think one of the things that we don't give them credit for in, in the way this is developing, and maybe they didn't even – they don't plan it. I don't know. But you've got the actual Pac-12 guys, you know, the Pac-12 – two different Pac-12 referees in the White Hats, they're, they're getting work that they like. That's good for them because, you know, where, where do officials go to work on their craft other, if they don't get a chance to do this? So this is really good for those guys, and they know it. And you develop kind of a rapport between the USC players and coaches and the Pac-12 officials. That can't be anything other than a good thing. So in terms of it, – it's just smart, you know, it's – the Pac-12 officials saying, hey, they want to get better. They want to do the right thing. And, you know, that, that hasn't always been the way the Pac-12 officials have looked at USC. So I think, you know, there, there's some really positive things about that because that's costed, obviously, USC. That's a commitment. You know, if I, you know like Saturday, I think they had 10 uh, Pac-12 officials there. Uh, that's a really good thing uh, yeah. for USC, I think. And it's a good thing for the Pac-12. I mean, can't get those guys too much work, I wouldn't think. Keely, you good with that A minus for that? Yep, absolutely. No, I was asking Keely. Dan speaks for oh. me, sure. Yes, uh, okay. absolutely. All right, here's schemes. Now I'm gonna I'm I've thought about this. I think I'm gonna go B because I think because on offense, yes. The defense, you know, is supposed to be simpler. You got more of a four man front. That's a little bit of a change. I'm not sure what's gonna change on special teams, so I'm kind of, you know, like I'll give you some some good change on the offensive side, but as far as the overall schemes, it's hard to say. I don't think there's it's a little tweak to defense, and probably nothing much to special teams. So that's why I'd go B. I don't know what you guys think. Well, as far as special teams, they're doing everything quicker, and they're doing it. You know, they'll go <clears throat> start with punting and it's eleven on eleven, and then they go to you know kickoff coverage. Uh, and, and kickoff return, and um, and then they pooch punt. So they kind of move down the field. And they've been pooch punting since day one And with uh, Ben Griffiths. I mean, he kicks the heck out of it. Out of it. And I think they're really developing, and, and maybe five minutes at the most, and probably not even quite that, uh, for each one of those. So those get finished fairly quickly. And because they're going 11 on 11, and they uh, – uh, excuse me, field goal first, and then uh, and 11 on 11, so you have to execute. you got to get all 11 on the field, which was kind of an issue last year. They're working on quick change stuff. Uh, they're kicking it under pressure. Uh, the uh, It's becoming second nature in terms of, like, the pooch punt stuff for the cover guys to be able to locate the ball and know where it's going. I mean, it's more special teams work than I think you would normally see in the spring, but it looks like they're doing the kinds of things that will carry over in terms of muscle memory 
and and just in general will be a plus. And they you know come up with the who exactly is going to be the return guys and stuff like that, or, or work on you know blocks and all the really specific things that you, you're not going to work on until the fall. But I'm encouraged by what we're seeing uh, on special teams. They made an interesting call. Here's Ben Griffiths. Uh, I don't know if he's six five or six six, uh, but a really good 27 year old retired Australian rules football player who really could go up and get the ball and got really good hands if you saw his highlights. And he's now the holder. I mean, here's a guy who's I don't think he's ever seen an American football game. Uh, well, he's never played in one, that's for sure. And he's gonna be holding. He's a he's a uh, uh, you know an experienced veteran, you know ex-pro athlete and that's the kind of guy you want you know to be your holder you know kind of to calm everybody down and and just you know and he looks like he's doing a great job but that was some real interesting thought that he would be the guy uh you know to step in there uh where they you know needed a replacement and uh i just like some of the thought that's gone into uh into what we're seeing on special teams and you know we're not easily impressed i don't think with the way special teams go but uh but so far so good they're doing a better job practicing it and they're practicing things that they need to be able to do uh in games that will carry over and uh, i don't know that we saw that before all right so what was your grade uh i'd give them at least a b yeah. Okay. Keely, you you higher? It seems like you're going to go higher. Can I just like pump the brakes two seconds on the special teams talk? Just because we did see special teams get shorter in practice last spring. And then once we got to the season, it was the same yeah. like hour in the middle of practice. People are standing around. So I'm waiting on that. I'm okay. Wait and see. But well, I think we could also wait on, on defense. I mean, we've heard Clancy True. talk about simpler, more aggressive, right. you know, more rotation before, and it didn't happen. He got into the season and he stopped trusting people, and they were standing on the sidelines. I mean, just going through games where Palaia and Yaltiote is standing on the sidelines, the best high school linebacker in the country, and legitimately so, a year before, is not in the game. Uh-uh, can't happen. Gotta figure it out. You know, if if you think, oh, my defense is so complex, well, then it shouldn't be so complex. You know, yeah. get make it work for the guys you got. If you've got guys that good, they have to be on the field. Have to be. That's on you, coach. So we'll see. Uh, I think that's the the question mark that uh I mean again, it looks like they're coming up with the right answers, but they got to stay with it. Yeah. I think they're going to stay with the offense. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Uh but the defense, I think we we're gonna wait and see. We're like all those people that tell us, wait and see. We're not gonna, you know, that's where we are with. The, I think with the defense. Well, wait and see. Uh, so personnel was always a weird one. Is it like if it was an NFL team, like you could sign some free agents well, and stuff? Well, he listed personnel and staff, which in the college team are one and the same, right? Like the same. The personnel, hey, the personnel might be players, and then staff is or support staff is personnel, and staff I'm, is the coaching people. Yeah, I mean, I when I say personnel, I'm thinking about the players on the field, which you and know, recruiting. Yeah, and the re, this was the worst recruiting class Recruit. that we can remember, so I wouldn't give that a very high grade. I I, I don't think this is as talented a team as they had last year. I think the team is going to do better because of the other changes, but um, I don't know. That personnel was always weird. Uh, and then 
staff. Here's I, what I would say about oh, personnel. They're still going to have better personnel than maybe everybody they play. Flip a coin with Notre Dame. Honestly, I, I don't care. Washington, Oregon, USC is going to have better personnel. Yeah, they they are. I mean, it's it's now is it good enough? You know, enough better? You know, we'll see. But uh, personnel is good. I mean, I think you've always got to say with USC so far, personnel is good enough. Uh, that's what Pete Carroll found when he got here. You know, and there was such a negativity after the whole '90s, uh, and he found out he had more players. You know, they got they got some key ones right away, uh, but he had more players in the program in the pipeline than anybody knew. They just played a whole lot better once Pete got here, and uh, I think that's that's what you hope with kind of the reinvigorated coaching staff and and what they're doing is that oh wait those guys are pretty good like a Connor Murphy. People might say, ooh, huh, look at him. That doesn't look like the same guy. Yeah. Um, and I, we, I, for the Pac-12 podcast, the Podcast of Champions, if you guys want to check that out, David Woods and I do that. So we had the one of the writers or the, the creator of uh, College Football Winning Edge, and they do a lot of uh, data and statistics about that. And, and the uh, 24-7 Sports will do a composite index uh, of talent for each team. Now, that hasn't come out yet for 2019 but last year usc was not only the number one in the pac-12 they were four number four in the country so it was a very talented roster i think that's going to drop off a little bit this year but uh you know going forward it, it still should be the best roster in the pac-12 and he sent us a, a bunch of data where he looked at he projected what the 24 7 sports uh composite index would be usc was still number one washington was number two and then he has a different formula that he uses and he actually had USC number one. I think Washington was actually down at number four. But, yeah, I, the data that's coming in, roster-wise, USC should still be there. Uh, you know, so it's – I agree with Dan. It's a talented enough. I don't, you know, like I don't agree with the with what Lin Swan's saying. You don't change the personnel all that quickly uh, for a college football team, but whatever. But for staff, um, I think, you know, Graham Harrell's a, a really good hire, uh, you know, Joe DeForest, like there's that on one side and then Joe DeForest on the other where you hire a, you know, a, you internal within. So I'm a little mixed on staff. Um, I'd probably go C overall. But, I, you know, I, I like Greg Burns coming in, but I know they wanted to get some different guys. Uh, so I, I'm maybe a little pessimistic, but I'm going to give C for staff. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, a guy that, that haven't gotten to talk to him more this week that I really like is, uh, is the D-line coach, Chad K. Uh, I just think he really, I, I just, terrific uh, personality. And I think he has a way of, of getting through, you know, to the kids that, that it's, it's starting to show up. Uh, I think he's, he's got a track record at Utah and, and Boise State of, of having, you know, some, done some, you know, pretty darn good things. Um, so, so I think he, he moves them up. Something, you know, the whole way that, uh, you know, Kenichi and, and, and Clancy just, you know, didn't didn't get together, didn't fit at all. I think um, I think Greg Burns moves the you know, the defensive you know staff up. Um, uh, I think Joe DeForest is just so thrilled to be back coaching again, and uh, he had some tough times. Uh, you know, at, at, at places at, at West Virginia as a coordinator, and then uh, you know Kansas was is a tough place to coach. Uh, so. I mean, his you know, the ability to to have the job at USC now, I think, 
Uh, we'll see, you know, what that does with him. But I think he's just 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 absolutely thrilled it out. I think Mike Jenks is a is a real, uh, you know, I mean, we we all remember Delane McCullough and how much we thought he, uh, you know, you know, got things going. And I think last year they basically were without a running backs coach. Drevno was not. That wasn't the position for him. <clears throat> but they got him on on staff that way. Uh, and then I think Drevno is. Uh, I think he's learning. It's interesting how much he seems to be taking out of Graham Har- Graham Harrell's offense and the way he's installing it, and how it's different from anything Drevno has ever done. And I think Drevno has the ability to step back and say, "Wow, I kind of like this repetition and 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 getting it perfect and not trying to." And he you know he talked about having uh, you know worked in offenses where. You spend all your time making adjustments and worrying about assignments. And he said, that's not what you're doing here. You're worrying, you're, you're talking about uh, technique and, and fundamentals and physicality and just playing, whereas in the other, you're doing a lot of thinking. So I kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm more of a B guy, you know, with, uh, with the staff, I think, uh, moving in the right direction. I think we're seeing a kind of a different look out of, you know, John Baxter. Um, they're, uh, I mean, I, I like it that he seems to have identified that Ben Griffiths is a real weapon and he changes the, the look and the sound. I mean, when he, you know, makes contact with that football, there's a different sound that, that we're not used to. And, uh, It'll be interesting to you know to see how that plays out, but uh, instead of just trying to hang in there with with the punter, I think you got a guy that that, that can you know change the change the game, flip the field, you know like the the guys at Utah uh, always seem to be able to do. I think USC needs to have a weapon there, and I think John realizes that he's got one and he's going to take advantage of it. How about you, Keely? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say b as well i think wow. I'm, I'm more optimistic about this coaching staff after talking to them and seeing them work on the field than i was when i just saw it on paper um i was really impressed like dan said talking to chad k i talked to him for the first time last week and just he really lives and breathes the d-line you know and he's very passionate and he, he watched film of, of the guys forehand and the first thing he had them do was lose weight and he was like, you don't, they're, they're strong guys already. You don't need them to be big. Like they, they can be faster and have that quick twitch. And so just seeing how passionate he was, you know, most coaches, sometimes they just want to get off the field and, and Chad K had to be told like, okay, you can go now, like stop talking about the D line. So that was interesting. Um, I think Mike Jinx is an interesting hire in the sense that I think he's kind of the glue guy on the offense, co- offensive coaching staff a little bit because I feel like sometimes the coaches wouldn't talk to each other a lot. And I, I've noticed that Mike Jinx will talk to guys um, and he'll also yell at JT. I saw on Tuesday, he really like yelled at JT once. Oh. And I was like, you usually only saw the coaches stick to their lanes. You, you help hold your specific players accountable, but you're seeing that kind of that blend of coaches taking other guys, uh, players accountable and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and then Greg Burns, I think just on the recruiting trail alone, big upgrade and then he's a guy who's been there he's been to the championship he knows what that looks like and what a team who does that looks like and he's talked about that multiple times in his interview so having that type of guy who knows that and can kind of spread that message to the team I think is important as well so I mean it's early that's the caveat but I've been impressed and of course Graham Harrell I think he's uh so far what he has been advertised as yeah 
I, I think what, uh, one of the things with Mike Jenks, he brings in, he's been a head coach, mm-hmm. and he understands this offense. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I guess Marquis Stepp was saying the other day is he's teaching the running backs that they have to know the offense uh, from a quarterback's point of view, that they've got to understand what it is the quarterback is seeing and how he's reacting to it. And he's so uh, Mike Jenks is saying, you know, not just a running back. I want you to understand the offense the way the quarterbacks understand it. And, uh, you know, again, that kind of crossover allows him also then to have a, a, the ability to comment on JT. I think that's, uh, you're, again, more of that. Than, uh, and the more, the, you know, the more the better, I think, when they all kind of, hey, we're all in this together. Yeah, I would, I mean, you guys are a little too optimistic for me, man. I, th- I think a few more changes need to be made. I don't like that there's only one wide receiver coach. I don't like that this is first time coaching wide receivers because it's such an important position in this team. I think the guys that they brought in, it's working out more than maybe we even expected on paper. So a little extra boost there, but it still wasn't enough for, for what I thought needed to be done for five and seven. Yeah, I would agree. That's why it's a B, not an A. I think one of the things that hey, you were thinking about a Ryan gave me this look like wow. (laughs) You were thinking about one of the things that helps with the wide receivers is they do so much uh, throwing and cat. For example, uh, when they start with the four quarterbacks throwing at the same time, you've got uh, wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs all running their patterns as they're warming up. So not only is warming up, but they're actually getting their patterns in. So they're getting double work there. And then when they do the one-on-one and the seven-on-seven, you also you have Graham as a as an integral part of those drills. So you do have a of uh, your of your coordinator and your wide receivers coach. Yeah, would it, would it be better to have an inside uh, receiver and outside? Yeah, probably. But uh, but they're doing better. I mean, um, for example, I think on the receivers, and you know you have uh, John Baxter as the tight ends coach technically. But uh, when you watch what they do with the uh, the tight ends who are basically H backs this thus far, um, you're you're seeing them almost being developed as just another a really big wide receiver, you know, in the slot or you know lined up as an H back somewhere or in motion. Uh, so uh, so I think the way you know that they're coaching them up together makes up a little bit for only having uh, the one wide receiver coach. Yeah, I would agree with Dan. There's there's a lot of meshing of coaches where Graham Harrell will walk over and talk to other guys that are not quarterbacks, you know. But I guess I'll, I'll downgrade to B minus. How about oh, that? Oh, there you go. I, I talked to you. Do you like that? It. Yeah. You're you're easily impressionable. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, we, it's the new studio. You're just like true. overwhelmed. Someone should. There's a drinking game. If you're over 21. You got a new studio, by the way. If you got a new studio, then yeah, I'm not sure. We just added I'm some background anything. background stuff, some shades because we get like full sun, especially now, Man. and uh, it's pretty cool. We'll sit. We'll we'll put out some pictures uh, this evening when the show comes on. So, Sir Eric of Troy got like a 20 minute answer. Oh my god, it was like a whole show, Sir Eric of Troy. <laughs> So we have an email from Ralph in Folsom. He says, Dan, can you speak to the Hufunga injury? Why does the estimated recovery time seem to be so much less than the original injury? Should we be concerned about the future of it uh, reoccurring like with Isaiah Pulmau? You know, you would think so, that, that there's a difficulty there if you uh, – uh, and, and this is what I – and I don't know if we'll ever get to talk to the docs about it, but uh, – one of the things that I've always wondered about that injury is 
is it uh, more likely to occur because of the impact or because of the torquing, you know, that the guy is reaching out and, and fully extended and, and he, you know, hits the ground or, you know, you know, catches up with a, with a foot and then that twists his, his uh, you know, at the collarbone joint there. Uh, and I don't know that. And uh, it does seem like they're more uh, optimistic in terms of rehab with the eight weeks, maybe than, than the, you know, the time from, I guess he did that in October, end of October. Uh, so what are we talking, November, December, January, uh, yeah, February. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it does seem like a more optimistic uh, rehab and, 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 and return date. Uh, I guess the thing that I would just hope for, and I don't know that, and, uh, and so that's the question is uh, in terms of is there a way you could pad it, especially if it's an impact injury, or is there a way that you could, uh, you know, restrain it to some extent in terms of if it's a torque uh, injury uh, from an extension or something like that? Uh, or do, do the two things have to happen together? One would hope that Talanoa himself at this point in time realizes there are some things he maybe just can't do. And you don't, you know, take a dive and, and fully extend yourself, uh, especially on that right side. Um, and so I just think, I used to remember when I worked for the Reds and I had a, had a guy from California named Tracy Jones, who was really a good tremendous athlete and uh i think he still maybe does some of their broadcasting and that but he literally every single time he dove and hit the ground he broke something you know and there were other guys who would do the same thing and they'd get up and walk away and i do think there are some people who maybe uh just don't always protect themselves uh don't maybe have that instinct uh in them and I'm thinking with Talanoa, I'm just hoping he starts to develop that and say, look, you know, you're flying through the air and you say, instead of extending and maybe being at a really exposed position when you hit the ground or you hit the guy's cleats or whatever, uh, you protect yourself and realize I want to come back and play the next play. I don't want to make, you know, you know, do or die on this particular play. It's just not that important. Uh, so, I think that all goes together. I hope the uh, the optimism is exactly, um, you know, warranted. Uh, and, and you do wonder when, you know, if it's the same so- surgery in the same spot. I know, remember, they used to tell you uh, when you would, uh, with metal, if you would solder a joint or something like that that, that, that had been broken of some sort, and you'd, they'd say, oh, once you solder it, it's stronger than it was. Well, I don't know if they can do a situation, you know, in terms of that surgery where they say it's actually stronger now than it was. I don't know if that's the case, but, uh, but I just hope that, you know, Talano just kind of learns how to protect himself on that side and says, you know, it's much more important for me to, to, to be able to finish the season out than uh, take a shot on, on one particular play. But uh, I don't know that are ever going to let us talk to the doctors to get really, really specific about injuries like that, but it would be, it would be interesting to know.
We have an email from Bill in Mesa who says, hope all is better there than at USC. I wanted to follow up, follow up on the radio broadcast situation. Since 710 won't be broadcasting the games, has there been a decision made as to who will? If not, what are you hearing about other options? I heard it was going to be 790. I think I think it's 790. It's K, KABC or something like that. I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for everybody, you know, it's ESPN and everybody thinks about that, but the, the chances of getting, you know, uh, moved to another station are, are so great now with the ESPN's programming lineup. And normally, if that was your home station, that would help you with all the rest of the sports programming, the sports talk shows and all that. ESPN basically doesn't pay any attention to uh, USC uh, at all. From what, yeah, they don't do they don't do basketball, and there, yeah, there's not a lot. Like Steve Mason and John Ireland will talk some, but it's not really an integral part. Um, They got the Rams, you know, Lakers. It's that's the big. Well, I know this last week someone was because I I was I was driving in pro day and saying, man, that was a great interview with Jake Olson uh, with uh, Mike Golick on ESPN. And they said, oh, you didn't hear it on uh, KSPN, you know, the L.A. ESPN. You heard it on 830, right? The Angel Station out here in Orange County. And they said, yeah, because uh, I guess Keyshawn said that nobody cares about USC. So they barely cared, carried any of that interview uh, which, with Jake, which was a terrific interview with Jake and Mike Golick. And it played, you know, completely on uh, – on uh, on the Angels uh, 8:30 station, but but not on the LA station, which is the USC flagship station. So they are getting a little bit lost in the in the shuffle there. With uh, I guess they've got the Rams and the Lakers now. Yeah, and there's not much room uh, for USC in that lineup at times. It seems like. Yeah, I think the biggest part was that they would do like a four-hour pregame. Like UCLA on 570, I think they get like a two-hour pregame show. Right. For USC, you would get a two-hour ESPN radio show that they would do, and then USC was leasing the two hours or whatever. They had the two hours be- right before the game. So it was really a four-hour pregame. So I don't know what that's going to happen. That's going to probably be the biggest adjustment. Um, I was I totally forgot I was going to put something in the war room about this last week because I did some inquiries and I completely forgot. So check the war room this week. I got a little got some stuff for you guys. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I forgot as well. So, uh, <laughs> oh, really? So you had some stuff. All right, yeah. yeah. Just we'll a thought. You know, we'll combine our stuff. Stay tuned for yeah. Friday, folks. We have an email from John in Oakland who says, when I look at the few USC players in the transfer portal, all seem to make sense. Uh, d- desire for more playing, playing time, off, off the field issues, personal family issues, having earned their undergraduate degree, with one exception, Akili Ross. He, he left the team before the start of last season, and as far as I've heard, is still at USC, enrolled, and taking classes finishing up his degree. Even when the team was short of safeties last season, he didn't come back. He hasn't played or worked in a football environment for eight months. So I wonder if he's actually lost interest in football and realized, as the NCAA likes to point out, that 98% of Division One football players will not play a down in professional football. Thoughts, John? Um, I think, Ryan, you have the inside track here. Yeah, uh, got to talk to some people very close to uh, Akili Ross and... Uh, 
we put some stuff in the war room um, two weeks ago, I think it was, or last week. I think it was last week. week. Last week, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he uh, would really like to be playing on this football team. And I think uh, you'll see there's going to be another recruiting period coming up, like after the spring. And, I, you know, he'll take a look at that. But he's going to uh, – or they, I think he already finished his degree. And uh, he's taking like a – like I, I believe so. He's almost – or he has one class left or something. It's like really – uh, close, but it's, uh, I've heard some mixed things. You know, there were some people that were, you know, there's some rumors about like he was distraction and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, other people I talked to with like, were really supportive of him. So, um, I'm curious to see, he would certainly be help, you know, be playing a lot right now and, and help this team. Uh, the people, the people I talked to in his camp said he would really like to be back. It was more on the USC side that he wasn't coming back. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's hard for me to say, John, but I, you know, I seems like it would be a good idea if USC brought him back, and it seems like he would be willing to do that, but they they don't want to. Yeah, I mean, especially now, if if you you just see how it works, I mean, you know, there must be some significant hesitation there if you had the opportunity to just say, you know, do the winter workouts, uh, you know, come out for spring football. Let's see how it goes. I mean, he'd have a position right now. I mean, and he'd have to be dislodged from that position to some, you know, to a great extent. Uh, so I always find it interesting, too, that there hasn't seemed to be any connection between Yukili um, uh, and any other team, uh, any other, you know, recruiting kind of. He's had plenty of time to establish, you know, some, you know, connection somewhere, and, and that hasn't happened. I still remember, was it two years, not last season, but the, the year before, it was at the Cal game. And he made a, a, a few plays, I think, at the Cal game. And he, he may have gotten to start the Cal game. And the talk after the game was uh, next step NFL, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, this is like your first game. And uh, there was just a sense of maybe at times some unreality about, exactly where he fit in, in things. And, uh, and then that you had the, you know, the, the blow up, uh, at practice and, uh, kind of walk off and, and, uh, haven't seen him since. And it, it just, it's just hard to explain. I mean, yeah. how he couldn't talk his way back on. It's a weird I mean, situation. I don't think like for John's question, I don't think he lost interest in football though. I still think he wants to play. I, like I said, I think he wants to play at USC, but he'll end up going somewhere else. We have a question from Nameless. Um, they say, my question is, with rowing being one of the sports centered in admission, in the in the admission scandal, what are the chances USC replaces rowing with softball? Like Dan Weber has said in the past, USC might automatically become a top 10 program in the country with all the talent in Southern California. Thanks for taking my question. Fight on. But they didn't put a name. They didn't put a name. And and Chloe, uh, our intern, was yeah. on the rowing team. So she's not very happy with this question. Um, so she said she's I think, the, I think rowing, the good thing about rowing is that uh, uh, you need a lot of uh, athletes. And so, because you got to try to balance out the scholarships. Uh, Title IX requires it between, uh, you know, the men's programs and the women's programs. And with football and all the numbers on football, it's been a, a difficult issue to try to get 
to get the numbers up. So rowing gives you that ability. And rowing is also a sport <coughs> where not a lot of kids are playing that, you know, are doing the rowing in high school. So you don't start from, you know, zero uh, when you're just trying to get, you know, girls, young women who are athletes uh, uh, to maybe come out and try, you know, try rowing, uh, try crew. Uh, so, so I think from that standpoint, people like crew, uh, you know, it really helps you. I don't know that though that you need that to be replaced. I think you know softball. I mean, I do think, and I, you know, not to disparage lacrosse and the, you know the people that are doing it at USC as the newest sport uh, and all of that. I think they made the decision. They thought lacrosse would help them with the East Coast. It was an East Coast sport. Uh, I'm just thinking that's the wrong way to go. Uh, I think you know. Softball, you're going to have to do a little work uh, to figure out where could they play, how could they play it. You know, campus is kind of filled up in terms of uh, where you could have a, you know, a softball stadium. Uh, could they have made some kind of a deal with the uh, L.A. Football Club and, 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 and played games there? Uh, or, or could you do the Coliseum? In the Coliseum, you played, uh, you know, the, the Dodgers played there. I mean, uh, could there not have been a way creatively – uh, you know, to go to uh, softball, just knowing that half the players on every good team in America come from Southern California. And uh, uh, because it's not like baseball, every kid that's playing college baseball thinks he can play in the major league. There really isn't a place for, uh, you know, for girls softball players to go. So they'll tend to go where they get, uh, you know, the best education. And it's not like baseball where you need a 25 to 30 man roster. And since they're limited to like 12 scholarships or whatever that number is, USC can't compete with the schools and you know, state schools in a lot of ways in building up a complete roster. Uh, because there's so many that you can go to the college world series from Southern California going to, you know, half a dozen schools. Um, and so USC has no advantage there, but in softball, uh, the number of scholarships you've got pretty much covers, you know, the team and uh, uh, two or three really good pitchers that you have to have, and that's it. And so uh, uh, I think USC, because of the education and all of that, you would be able to compete, you know, really from the first get-go uh, in, in, you know, in softball. I, I just think it would be the way to go. But as far as I'm concerned, the other sport that they're really missing out on is gymnastics. I mean, uh, uh, UCLA and Utah are drawing 12,000 uh, crowds of 12,000, you know, for gymnastics, which has become really a, you know, big sport nationally, uh, but in the Pac-12. And uh, I, I just think I would like to have seen them rethink which direction they go in, uh, you know, in terms of the, the newest sport. And I'm not sure there's any way you add lacrosse before uh, gymnastics and, uh, and uh, uh, softball. I just think, that's the way to go uh, for USC. Yeah. It, it would, you know, it, re it reflects the community. It reflects, you know, the fan interest. Uh, you know, you got a great place, uh, Galen Center. You know, again, the problem might be as it is at UCLA right now. The women's gymnastic team far outdraws the basketball team. Uh, you know, in the same building. Uh, good for them. You know, and and make the basketball team compete, but. Uh, but that's the direction I'd go, and I'd leave rowing, rowing fine. Yeah. Um, we remember talking with uh, Pat Hayden when, you know, so I don't know if you guys remember, but there used to be an athletic director that would actually talk to the media that, that USC had, not 
<laughs> not the current one. But I asked him that correct question about softball directly, and he was like, certainly not even on his radar. He said it was, you know, just the money that it would, that they didn't have the budget and things like that. Um, but, you know, one of those things where if you had an athletic director that came in from somewhere else and, and knew the importance of something like women's softball or gymnastics, then maybe they would do it. You're, you know, you've had three former football players in a row, and I don't know if you're going to really get, uh, that kind of push there. I think the, the Max Nikias thing, like wanting to have women's lacrosse for East Coast ties and fundraising and stuff, like I think that's what's behind a lot of that. But if you brought someone in that would realize, hey, you know, maybe the the money wouldn't work out, maybe it would be impossible, but I, I don't feel like they gave it a real fair shot. So um, until you get a change there, I, you know, in really the whole structure of the athletic department, like making some big changes, which y- you think that. Um, you know, the new president would, you know, potentially could do maybe, but until then, I don't think you're going to see any kind of additions like that. Well, I think it was interesting. One of the things Pat did tell us was that uh, they had to figure about a million dollars addition to the budget for each uh, new sport like that. And I was just thinking, if you paid your athletic director, what the going rate was, and then added some to it. Let's say a million dollars a year, which would make the athletic director still maybe one of the two or three highest paid athletic directors in the country. And you took the money that was going to the athletic directors, you might be able to start two new women's sports teams. Uh, so I might want to think about how where the money is going uh, in terms of uh, when they say it's a budget issue, uh, I mean, you can't, I, it's hard for me to imagine that, say, Pat could say that's a budget issue making $3 million a year as USC's athletic director. It's like, no, don't say that. <laughs> Makes no sense. We don't have, say that. We have one final email, and then I believe we have one final voicemail. Yes. Correct? Uh, it's from Dan, class of 1962. He says, Dan is absolutely right about the need for real leadership from the president of the university. The board of trustees were selected for their monetary contributions, not their administrative leadership. USC had a strong leadership with Dr. Topping and Dr. Hubbard as presidents. But then when Dr. Sample became president, fundraising became uh, he started to fundraise to become a world class academic institution. All the schools on campus, including athletics, were tasked with fundraising. The university became a collection of fiefdoms who were self-sustaining rather than a whole university. Until USC gets a unifying president where there's accountability other than fundraising, the athletic program, which crosses all university schools, will never be a focus that unifies the school as it was with Dr. Toppings and Hubbard. The alumni need to speak out about this lack of oversight and school vision. What are your thoughts, Dan? Well, I think one of the problems with the uh with the athletic program is as much as it was had the potential to be the unifier and was because of, you know, how good football was and, you know, back in the day, baseball and, and, and track and field and, and, and those sports, uh, the athletic program, I don't think was ever much a part of the rest of the university in a lot of ways. I think they kind of went their own way and to their detriment, I think, you know, when you see, uh, not seemingly to get the right public relations, you know, advice. Uh, you've got at the Annenberg School there, and yet, uh, you know, the NCA uh, issues come along, and, and USC doesn't exactly seem to have an answer institutionally. And, um, you know, you can see that, you know, the divide in this latest scholarship, you know, scandal, admissions, excuse me, admissions uh, scandal, 
uh, with walk-on uh, athletes and all of that, that, that the athletic, I think, department has to kind of uh, be more a part of the school. I mean, in, and in the old days, you would have thought that would have been a little bit easier because USC was more of a, you know, an intimate, you know, private uh, university. Now it's, you know, the largest employer in, in Los Angeles, and it's a big behemoth of a, of a you know, of a university with 37,000 you know, total students, uh, you know, undergraduate and graduate, and it's the probably the, you know the most important single element of the entire city of Los Angeles in terms of you know what USC has meant to just the Figueroa corridor and how all of that you know plays into USC and now with the you know the Lucas Museum and and, and everything that's happening uh, you know out there. Uh, that's probably as, as big a deal as, as LA's got going. And yes, he has to figure out how to become, you know, what it's going to be, uh, as this just monumentally, uh, you know, successful, uh, you know, school, uh, and still having that, you know, USC character, uh, you know, that, that Dan recalls and, and, and how, how you put those two together. I think that's, uh, again, that's where leadership comes in. I think USC needed to raise a lot of money. I mean, USC was so far behind, say, you know, schools like Stanford in terms of the endowment, in terms of the amount of, you know, scholarship aid that it, it could offer. Uh, and I think it, it was making good progress in terms of faculty and, uh, and research and, and, and all of that kind of thing. But, uh, but I think, you know, there really was a deficit in, in terms of, you know, comparing USC to some of the great, um, you know, academic programs. So I think that was needed, uh, but things just got kind of, you know, lost in the in, in putting that all together, and things just, you know, weren't maybe always uh, administered and overseen, and uh, as well as you uh, as well as you would like them, and maybe the the idea of, uh, you know, how much how important fundraising was, uh, kind of you know took the lead at times and. Uh, you know, maybe there wasn't the accountability that there, you know, there needed to be with the, the medical school, you know, situation especially. And um, so it's not going to be easy to put that all together when you've got a, you know, a place as big and, and, and maybe necessarily as bureaucratic as, as, as an institution like USC now has to be. Uh, how do you get that kind of that, you know, keep that family atmosphere? I think Dan's right. Athletics has a chance to be kind of that, that unifier, uh, but uh, I think you've got to have people that are really, really good at what they're doing because there are a lot of places in the country now that are really competing uh, to be very, very good in athletics, and it's just not a given that you're going to be able, just because you're, you're located where you are, your history, your tradition is such, uh, it's just not a given you're going to be very good unless you, you keep doing things really well. And then football, basketball, and baseball, uh, you know, the big three, USC hasn't gotten it done. And uh, they really need to figure it out. And uh, you need somebody that really understands how that all works. And I'm not sure, you know, USC's had, had those people in place. And uh, uh, you make some bad decisions, and then, you know, one after another after another, uh, you really find yourself in a difficult place. And uh, yes, he's uh, kind of there right now. And they just got to, you know, got to, got to figure it out. And that's what, 
that's what they pay the you know the big leaders the big bucks for and uh uh i don't think we've seen that uh in every area that we need to we need to see it there's been too much trust on uh getting people because of their names and and their fame and uh it's something you got to overcome i think in la the celebrity culture yeah. is usc is a part of, a part of that celebrity culture we saw you know we see it in the admissions thing and in a lot of other ways, and uh, it's not easy to maybe uh, you know turn your back on that a little bit. But uh, but I think nowhere more than USC. I mean, it's not a surprise that USC has more people involved in the uh, you know federal investigation into a, you know the admission scandal uh, than any school in the country. Yeah. USC is the biggest target. They're in the location where there are more of those people, and. USC's become a place where people will spend a lot of money to get their kids into. And, and again, it's the, the good news is USC's that place, and it's in the, the lead of stories that say, you know, Yale and uh, Stanford and USC, elite universities. So you want to be in that sentence. You just don't want to be in it for that reason. So uh, that's, uh, I think USC's got to step out of its game uh, in terms of leadership and administration. And to be fair to Stephen Sample, he completely changed the uh, the outlook of the you know the academic side, uh, you know, for USC. So I think that he made it a lot more difficult to, uh, you know, it, it raised the profile for sure and made it difficult you know difficult to get into the school. It's a lot harder to get into now than it was before. Uh, I think there was fundraising there, but not the same sort of focus that Max Dacias had. So I. You know, I I don't you know I don't, I don't want to give Steve Zimmel a bad name. I think he did a lot of good things. Yeah. No, and he did his. He I think he absolutely did. And then Max came along. And let's face it, he uh, committed USC to the largest fundraising program in modern higher education uh, ever in, in American history, uh, more than six billion dollars. And they hit it. And they went out and they they said, you know, you can measure us by this, and uh, and and they did. And so you know, from that standpoint. Uh, you know, those were those were good goals for the right reasons. It's just, you know, there may be times when you can't uh, run the university all the way around as if it were still the kind of small, you know, uh, private school where everybody knows everybody. Uh, and so how you how you develop that? I mean, I noticed when I came here, uh, it wasn't that long ago. And UCLA hit a, and I, I got to cover both UCLA and USC, and UCLA hit a completely different character from USC. It was the big state school, the bureaucratic school. There were rules for everything, and it just, it just didn't have, say, the character and, and uh, the personal, you know, touch that that USC had. That's changed a little bit, as you might guess. USC has changed, uh, you know, since since I've been here. It's it's bigger. It's you know more successful, more powerful, more. But that also changes um, changes the kind of the character of the school. So, um, uh, and it was always much more attractive to me to be around USC, the private school, the family, much more family atmosphere. Uh, all the kinds of traditions, and I think USC's got to figure out how to keep that and yet be able to go out and raise the kind of money you get to raise to to try to someday maybe get in uh, Stanford's league. I'm not sure you can ever quite do that, but that's got to be your goal. And uh, I think uh, you know that's uh, 
that's the challenge for the new president. All right, we got one last question. Uh, <laughs> I'll play it for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. Uh, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Quick question. Um, Dan, whoever, or you, whoever answered, you, you guys are probably going to uh, kill me because it's a basketball question. But uh, it's regarding the new president. Uh, real quick, is Andy E. Uh, officially on the hot seat? Uh, you got to think this lady coming from Chapel Hill basketball gym, an elite, elite program as North Carolina to this stuff at the Galen Center with 2,000 or 1,000 or 50 people showing up, uh, I don't think she would like let this fly, especially if she's going and supporting the teams in those games. She may look at the Galen Center and say, this guy has to go immediately. Uh, your thoughts, guys, on that? Well, I Probably do think don't. that's the question. Yeah, I think that's the question is, you know, you've got a new building, a great location. Um, why aren't people responding and showing up? Obviously, that you know, the recruiting class for next year is stunningly good. Uh, it's got so much going for it. Um, uh, but you know, six years is a is a long time to be in the middle <coughs> of the the best basketball recruiting uh, you know place in the world and uh, to be a mile and a half from two NBA franchises. I mean, is there a better location than, uh, than you know, Galen Center? I mean, I still remember, you know, the O.J. Mayo days and that when you'd have 25 NBA scouts at, at every game pretty much. Uh, you can get more exposure than USC if you do it right. Uh, and uh, so uh, why hasn't that happened? Uh, I think the new president will probably ask that question or have an AD who will ask that question and figure out what to do. When the only thing you can remember about the AD and basketball this year, well, two things. Uh, Last year, this year, DeAnthony Melton, that they couldn't figure out a way to get him eligible or whatever, and, you know, maybe they're right. But then the they couldn't figure out a way to get the song girls on the floor. When those are like the two things that you say, okay, Lynn Swan and basketball, what can I remember? And that's probably not where you want to go. You probably got to figure out a way to make basketball work at USC. It shouldn't be this hard. And, uh, you know, you had a, a team this year that, that just didn't work. They didn't look like they, they like one another. It didn't look like they knew what they were doing. It looked a lot like the football team. And, uh, you know, to have, you know, losing seasons, uh, what is it, three times in a century, USC's had a losing uh, football season, basketball season, and uh, baseball season. Uh, that probably is the kind of thing that even if you're not a president that's all rah-rah, although she was apparently a big basketball fan at, at North Carolina, you're going to ask that question. What's going on here? Uh, what, I, you know, what, what's happening? And, uh, I think, I think something's happening. Uh, I'm not sure who hot seat, who's going to, who you're going to credit, you know, being on hot seat, but, uh, I think somebody will be without a doubt. And, uh, next year is going to be interesting. It will be for sure. All right. Well, we went like 90 minutes, so we should probably, uh, Kind of went on a little on this one. But, I blame uh, Sir Eric of Troy. Yeah, Sir Eric of Troy's thing That's took off. Yeah. yeah. That uh, was a good discussion. I think that part of it, though, I, I'm glad we got to talk about, you know, some of the new coaches. Because uh, uh, I, I, 
I'm I'm really learning a lot in the spring from just dealing with those guys. Yeah. Coach Chad the other day, really, really impressive guy. Nice. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, yeah, we, we got tunnel vision in like an hour and a half, so we got to get a roll in here. Um, in the new studio. Don't forget to see yeah. that. Michael Castillo that from Rainbow Troy. If I watch tonight, will I be able to see You will see. Studio? You will tell. Okay. Yeah. And just so Michael uh, Castillo knows, I'm ending this show an hour and a half before another live show, and this will be up in 30 minutes, unlike, you know, three days like it takes him to edit shows. But <laughs> just kidding, Michael. We love you. All right. That's Keely Yord, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.